Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Um, hello, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts on Tumblr. I am joined tonight with Kama. Hi, this is Kama, and you can find me at Grammar Saves Lives at Tumblr. And Eon. Hi, this is Eon, and you can find me at Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. Chicky. Hey, this is Chicky. I am Chickren on Tumblr. Someone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have joining us uh, today, or tonight, is Coralie. Hi, this is Cora. You can find me at Coralie Through the Looking Glass on Tumblr. Fantastic. Cora joins us in the middle of the night. Yeah. Indeed I do. Thank you for that. We appreciate it. We sure do. We love these accents, so that's great. Makes us sound, I don't know, more legitimate for some reason. Less North American. <laughs> yeah. Bunch yeah. of hicks. Sorry, I love North America. All right, Ed. Great continent. Okay. <laughs> so Game of Thrones Season 2, Episode 5 is what we're discussing um, this episode. And uh, this, as always, spoiler warnings, we spoil books and show. And potentially there might be rape discussion. I don't think there is, but I'm going to put that out there. Never fucking know on this show, man. Nope. <laughs> Never know. Okay. So we open up at Renly's camp. Uh, it's Renly and Catelyn. Brienne is also present, guarding Renly, of course. Um, they are discussing terms. Renly agrees that north of Moat Caitlin, Rob can call himself King of the North, but he wants Rob to swear an oath to him. In return, he will help destroy their enemies after he defeats his brother, of course. Catelyn tries to dissuade him. Um, Brienne is helping Renly out of his armor. He asks Catelyn to bring his terms to Rob. Together, they can end this war in a fortnight, 14 days. A strange, shadowy fog enters the tent. Brienne turns to watch Renly get stabbed through the heart. She screams, and she's holding him as he falls to the ground. Um, the other guards rush in. Catelyn tries to stop them from attacking Brienne. Brienne makes short work of the two guards, and then she sobs over the corpse of Renly. Catelyn pulls her up. They have to leave, and they escape out the back. Uh, we can uh. discuss this, I think, here. <laughs> you know, uh, this This just... Uh, this scene is... It's hard to watch, but not for the reasons that it should be. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I, hear yeah, some, I feel some criticism coming on. <laughs> oh, shocker, I know. Is this one of the more awkward scenes? Actually, this episode has a few really awkward scenes. <laughs> this is just really awkward to me. I don't know, like... It's so funny, like, you come off the last episode, and, like, you know, Smokey Baratheon is so terrifying, and then in this one it gets a little, I don't know, cheesy, and I think this is one of those cases for me, we've talked about it a few times, how, you know, when you have these really fantastical elements, it's really important that the actors help sell them, Mm -hmm. and I think this is one of those cases where I'm just not sold. Yeah, I could side a bit with you on that. I think For me... Go ahead. Oh, I'm... No, For me, the problems start at the very beginning with the exposition. I admit this is not a scene I have watched over and over, so I had forgotten a lot of this. 
And I couldn't understand why Catelyn was so unhappy with what Renly was proposing because it was sounded like a really great deal. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she starts worrying about Stannis, and I'm thinking, well, lady, you know, the ship has sailed. You should have been... <laughs> I don't know. It was... It felt clunky to me, and then when we had the somewhat cheesy entrance of Smokey... <laughs> I love that that's his name now. <laughs> it, it is now. It's it's canon, dude. That's my head, you know, but... um <laughs> Well, it's Renly's nephew to boot, so, you know, it's a family thing, but um <laughs> it was just... It didn't work. Very little of it worked, and I love Gwendolyn Christie a lot as Brienne, but I didn't even like her in this particular scene. No, I think I don't she's know. a it, lot of the problem, honestly. As much as I adore her, we're going to get booted out of fandom for this. Yeah, yes. like, you guys, I'm, like, making those motions across my neck. Cut it out, cut it out. She, she gets so much better from here, don't get yes. me wrong. But, yeah, she has a little bit of trouble with subtlety. Some of that kind of Amelia Clark fresh out of drama school trouble with subtlety, I think. And, and you see that in this episode more than I think anywhere else. Hmm. She really does improve by leaps and bounds. And, oh, and yeah. here it was awkward. The whole thing just really didn't feel particularly well done. They were trying mm-hmm. to do too many things, and they weren't doing any of them particularly well. The exposition was clunky. The effects were clunky. The performances... We're kind well, of funny. I watched the, you know, I've been watching this HBO Go on my computer with the extras on, and they had an extra video for how they did this um, scene with the smoke monster killing him. And it's funny, the way that they were shooting it when they were shooting it in the tent was different than kind of how it ended up. Hmm. Um, it was kind of like the shadow came from behind the way that they were initially shooting it. So I don't know what happened. Then later they showed a scene of just Geth and Anthony in front of a green screen, definitely not in this tent, like in a studio somewhere. So it's like they had to reshoot it or something. I'm not really sure what happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe all the, maybe all the budget just went to, to Drogon burning meat later this episode. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah could be. I was actually thinking in the way I sometimes do with trying to puzzle out how these events could have gone differently, that if Catelyn had gone to Stannis initially, they might have somehow, if she could have persuaded him to sign on with Rob as King of the North, which is doubtful. Never going to happen with Stannis. If they had somehow been able to broker a deal, then maybe they could have gotten Renly on board, and then they could have been like a more united front. But it was just, it's like Not watching happening. the Greek tragedy. It's doomed. No chance. Uh-uh. Yeah. yeah. So Renly's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I did think it was a little bit overkill whenever they show Brienne getting attacked by the guards, because the guards really didn't even put up a fight. I mean, one of them pretty much kneeled right in front of, front of her. You know? Here, kill me now. You yeah, overkill. Really, it was pretty much like that. Overkill as in she actually kills them, which I remember being yes. very surprising to me when I first watched Yes, I mean, I think what? she pretty much, she fucks them up pretty good in the books, but I mean, she doesn't Pretty quick, kill them. too. Pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask what happens in the books because I haven't had time to reread those. Because I couldn't remember that actually happening. It felt a little bit, yeah. to me anyway, not... She does fight these guys, but she doesn't kill them. The character that we're probably used to. To see. I think she cuts one of one of their hands off. That's about it, I think. She does? I, I don't know what I know she fights who is it she fights? Does she write fight Robert Royce, I think? Oh maybe. Or is it Emma and Kai I can't remember. She fight she does she does fight a couple of people, but she doesn't kill anyone. Mm-hmm. No. And Catelyn kind of distracts somebody so that they can get away. 
That seems even right. more far-fetched, though, really, like, that they wouldn't catch them. <laughs> yeah. It's Robar the Red, or I presume that's Robar Rice, mm-hmm. and Emin the Yellow. Is it Emin Kai? Um, Who knows? Okay. That's, um, but it looks oh. like they. she just, like, holds them at bay, and then Loris Tyrell kills them later. Yeah, it's Emin Kai. Yeah, Loris kills them later. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's yeah, move no, on. It's, it's a change. It's a change. Um, we got Littlefinger, and he's watching Renly's ship sail away. Loris is mourning Renly. Marjorie wants to leave. Littlefinger enters, tell them both their former bannermen will be selling them to Stannis. Uh, Marjorie says that Brienne of Tarth murdered Renly. Loris doesn't believe that. He thinks Stannis is somehow behind it. Littlefinger asks Loris what he wants, and the reply is revenge. Littlefinger and Marjorie plea with him to leave. Loris does, and then Littlefinger asks Marjorie if she wants to be um, queen, and she says, I want to be the queen. And that's the end of that. I thought this was better. I particularly like um, Natalie Dormer in this scene. Um, and Aidan Gillen was not as bad as he normally <laughs> is. Oh, Such God, glowing I- praise. <laughs> the tempering. For me, it is. Um, I I do wish there's a deleted scene on the DVDs that I wish had been. I don't know if, even know if it's on the DVDs, but it's a really good scene with her and Loris, and I wish it had been capped. What was um, it? Is that at this point? It's in here somewhere because, and I'm pretty sure it's this episode because he's mourning um, Renly, and she's basically telling him look i understand but it's like one of those things where the tyrell family dynamic is particularly strong which i think got kind of lost in the show Mm. um and and i thought it really added something to it yeah okay so anybody have anything to add about this scene i've got something quick i when i was rewatching it i think um Natalie Dormer's line about be, wanting to be the queen is something very similar to her Anne Boleyn in the Tudors. I think that line's almost word for word. Really? And I haven't seen oh, the really? Tudors in years and years and years, so I'm not entirely sure. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it just feels very, very similar in that sort of beginning that Marjorie's starting to play the game a little bit more than we see her mm. in the books, obviously, because they've aged her up with the casting. But I, I just got this same sort of vibe from it as the Anne Boleyn character that she used to play and I don't know why but that line really stuck out. Oh that's so funny you know I do like I have to say this and I, I had the thought when I was just rewatching was um, I really appreciate that they did kind of try to lay the groundwork for the future Littlefinger Tyrell conspiracy that will go on mm-hmm. which I feel like they were I don't, I don't think I'm giving them too much credit to say that I feel like they were laying the groundwork for that here so mm-hmm. that was good no, I think they were. I think so, yeah. too. I think that's borne out. Yep. Okay, let's go to King's Landing. Um, Tyrion and Cersei discuss Renly's death. Cersei's happy at the news. Tyrion is not. Uh, Renly's men will now join Stannis, giving them him the stronger army. They argue about, about Marcella. Cersei tells Tyrion he needs not worry about battle plans, and she says the king is taking um, charge personally. Tyrion tries to impart on her how important it is that they speak of their war plans. Cersei isn't sharing any info. 
And then the next scene, we have Lancel and Tyrion. Um, they meet up in his litter. And Tyrion uh, learns that it's wildfire Cersei is having made. Lancel gives him more info when Tyrion threatens to tell Jaime about what he and Cersei have been up to. Lancel tells Tyrion there are already thousands of pots of wildfire. He swears on the seven that he's telling the truth, and Tyrion dismisses him. And he has this great line where he says, even torturing you is boring. <laughs> That's the end of that. So I have a question here. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to me, and of course, because we've watched, I've watched these relatively close together now. This scene, the first one where Cersei is like talking about how the king's taking personal charge of siege, siege preparations and she's being very vague. It really made me go back to an earlier episode where after Joffrey, well, after all of the, of Robert's bastards were being hunted down and killed. Where Cersei was equally vague about who ordered that. And it kind of came down to Tyrion concluding that it had been Joffrey. But no one has ever said or confirmed that, have they? On the show? On the show. No, I don't think so. So when I watched this, I kind of wondered, huh. Because, I mean, I don't think Joffrey knows word one about what is going on with this wildfire business. If she was, in fact, the one who ordered on the, show? the attacks. I mean, we know she probably was in the books. I mean, on the show, it's hard to say. It's so funny that you had that read on it. My read when I was watching it, when I was first watching it through and not really remembering how, how it was going to go down, is I almost was thinking she doesn't know what Joffrey's up to, but she doesn't want to let Tyrion know that. Uh, read, uh, you know, just watching the first part. Then you know, it's clear when you get to the part where... You have Lancel revealing the wildfire that, oh no, it was just she was being cagey and not letting on to Tyrion. But when I was watching it at first, I was like, oh, she doesn't know what, what, uh, Joffrey's up to again. Oh, no, I, I read it like her just enjoying the fact that she doesn't have to share anything with him. <laughs> Regardless, it was a really great scene. I, I just love it anytime that Peter and Lena are on, <laughs> on screen together, particularly when they're alone together. I think they're even better. I think they kind of amp it up a little bit. It's great. Yeah. I like, um, What's his, uh, Eugene Simon, I think, is the guy who plays Lancel. Mm-hmm. I love him and Peter Dinklage, too. That, that's gold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want more Lancel. I hope we get, like, You're gonna more. get it. <laughs> we just, gonna get it. We better get more Lancel. You say that with such authority. Why? What am I missing? We're well, just about confident he's back this season. Yeah. He's Isn't back. he supposed? To, he's a warrior's son. They cast Jonathan Price as the High Sparrow there, and he's a big name. They're bringing Kevin back. Pretty There's solid all, all info that Lance about and Kevin like the, was it Loris being persecuted for being gay? I really think we're going to get a lot of it. Okay, great. Mm. That makes me happy. <laughs> all right, um, Stannis and Davos. Um, they speak of Renly, and Stannis says he grieves for the boy he was and not the man he grew to be. Davos wants to discuss Smoky Baratheon. <laughs> Stannis basically <laughs> tells him to shut it. Uh, they change the conversation to the plans of attack at King's Landing. Davos um, <clears throat> asks about Melisandre and if she's going to be there. Stannis gets a bit cranky at this. Well, crankier than usual. But then he asks, you know, what would you have me do? And uh, Davos is basically worried that his men are going to 
you know, see her as kind of being at his ear, basically accusing her of some kind of witchcraft. Stannis concedes a bit. Um, he gives Davos command of the attack on King's Landing. Davos thinks, thanks him, but he knows the other bannermen will not be happy. I don't remember, Calm. Is it, uh, is it actually Davos in the books who, who asked yeah. Stannis to leave Mel behind? Is it? I'm pretty sure. Um, he's the only POV character we have at Dragonstone. It's definitely he's involved in the scene. I feel like he's there, but I don't even feel like it was him. I, I mean, I understand why they... Well, I don't know this. who else it could be, because Crescent's dead. Yeah. Everyone else is... And, like, that Master Pilos guy, I think, is fairly... I think he's back at Dragonstone with Shireen and whatnot. I don't know who else is there who's be... Who would have the balls. Who's <laughs> man, who wouldn't yeah, who I don't, be I don't know. him like that. I don't know. I was like, was this really Davos? But I just couldn't remember. So it, It's one of those things where everything Davos is saying is accurate and it's good advice and it's going to turn around and bite them in the ass, which mm-hmm. I like the irony of that. I also like because and, and Stannis' character gets short shrift in the show. He's really, really funny in the books and his scene, I mean, his stuff is really interesting. It's a lot more layered in the books, but um. I like that at this point in the story, it demonstrates, like you can kind of see it with the way Stephen Delane is playing it. He's not as into this whole Rillor, Lord of Light crap as he becomes later on in the show. She's He sees Melisandre as a practical tool. I mean, I don't think he even understands quite what's going on with Smokey and whatnot. Oh, definitely um, in the books, yeah, he doesn't. And, well, he, and he I, deliberately doesn't know about smoke. Yeah, I, like I think he's like, he's going to get, he wants to get ahead. He's a war, you know, he's a general. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. But he's, I mean, he's set up to be kind of an atheist from the get-go. I yeah. mean, I think he becomes one as soon as he sees his parents die. That's it, you know, and she's just an ends to a mean or a means to an end. Hmm. Very good. Um, did anyone want to add anything before we go on to the next bit? I think the only thing I saw in this scene was how cool it looked filming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could see um, Liam Cunningham's breath as he was talking. Just go, God, it looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, next we have Tyrion and Bronn, and they're going through a stroll th- through Flea Bottom. Uh, there's this one dude, totally on a soapbox, going on about the fruit of incest being rotten, and the mob is eating it up. Tyrion and Bronn um, agree about, you know, the fruit of incest. <laughs> and then the man speaks of a demon monkey, and uh, Tyrion doesn't realize that it's actually him that this guy is referring to. And that is a super short scene. I don't know if anyone had any thoughts about it. No. I mean, it just set up for what's to come, so. Alright, we'll leave it be then. Uh, we have Theon, he's clad in armor, he's all smiles, you know, he's looking at a ship in the distance, and then his crew comes out, and it's pretty much descent from the get-go. Yara arrives, uh, makes a joke about Theon, at Theon's expense, and then she also gets a dig in at how she has 30 ships, and they would never fit in the tiny bay they're at right now. Um, her crew is great. His sucks, basically. She leaves. Um, his first anchor, I guess like a first mate, comes along and offers to take Theon out to the ship. They speak of Torrens Square, 
which is close to the stony shore, their intended destination. It's a tastier prize if they go to Torrance Square. And then we see kind of light bulbs going off for Theon if he thinks, you know, they'll go to defend Torrance Square. Winterfell would be left undefended. And uh, that's it. Theon's going to make a name for himself. It's going to be great. <laughs> I uh, I remember watching this, and I assumed, and I hadn't read, I don't think I'd gotten this far in the books. I think I was still reading the Game of Thrones. And I went in and I talked to my, my coworker who had gotten me hooked on this show. I said, I like that guy who was with Theon. He was like, he's going to be the guy, right? He's going to be the guy who's going to make Theon be a better leader. <laughs> and she got this look on her face and then like, she who? walked away. <laughs> <laughs> that was back when I thought things would end happily for her. <laughs> Sweet summer child. It is. It is interesting that you know the show has has really tried to make um, Theon more sympathetic, and you kind of have to respect it since he gets so little sympathy in the books um, as his story stands. And you know, you see that a little bit here. I mean, he's not that he not that he's fully embraced when he goes home or anything, but they do make it a little more cartoonish how much you know uh, Balon prefers. Asha over over Theon on the yeah. show. Um, it's not this bad, and he's not as big a joke. And you know, he he makes a lot of these decisions for his, himself and stuff. So it, it is a little bit of a departure, but you kind of have to respect it because I think it worked a little better. He gets a little mm-hmm. bit more sympathy from show viewers than he ever does from book readers. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's mm. a good point. Um, next scene we have Arya. She is preparing food and drink, listening to Tywin's war council. Tywin admits they've underestimated Rob, and then he wants suggestions from his council. Uh, Reginald Lannister wants sleep. <laughs> Tywin threatens his life and sends him back to Lannisport. Arya begins to pour wine. Uh, Tywin stops her, and he says, water, they're going to be there a while. Tywin asks her where she's from. She lies at first, but fails to know the sigil for House Mewen. He identifies her as a northern girl, and then this time she says she's from Barrowtown. Tywin asks her what they um, say of Rob Stark in the north. He's a young wolf. He rides into battle on a dire wolf, and sometimes he can turn into a, a wolf when he wants, and that he can't be killed. Tywin asks if she thinks that is true. And she says, no, anyone can be killed. And then there's some serious eye contact going on. <laughs> Tywin says, fetch the water. And that's the end of that one. Oh, I was just waiting for you to start gushing, Calm. I refuse to go first. I'm going to wait this time. Look, I mean, this is a great scene. Like, you know, this is one of those situations where you've got actors with really great chemistry. And, you know, you've gotta hand it to Maisie Williams to go toe-to-toe with Charles Dance here mm-hmm. and hold her own on screen. I mean, he he could have completely dominated her if she wasn't, you know, she really does have some X factor and she holds your attention here. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's it's fan fictional. Like, this is one of those hey, what if these two had a scene together? Yeah, moments? yeah. I know when I, I watched like, oh, oh, I, ahead, I know when I watched it for the first time um, this is prior to me reading the books, of course. I really thought something bad was going to happen to Arya. I thought, like, he was going to figure her out. Like, I was totally gobbling it up. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, you know, Tywin, Tywin is smart enough to know that if she's noble, which he clearly has guessed that she is and that she's from the north, you know, what on earth is she doing this far south? Something is going on. She's someone. And it's uh, it doesn't really make sense that he doesn't pry anymore into that and that he doesn't, you know, get out of her who she is and what she might know. Um 
you know, there's very much, there's very much, uh, just kind of ignoring, ignoring what real Tywin would have done here. And you just kind of have to go along with, okay, okay. Show Tywin isn't going to bother. He's just going to leave this mystery alone. Hmm. Yeah. Who are you going to add, Kama? Here's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I love these things. I, I, they're my favorite part of season two. They honestly are. Um, like, like, uh, Chicky said, I love the acting. I like how they're written. I like the chemistry these two actors have together. Um, I wish I, I was trying to find the essay I read. It was like a news piece, um, where basically the journalist was talking about these scenes and I think it was a woman, um, and she kind of compared them to that of the relationship like a Victorian gentleman might have with like a servant where there's this sort of kind of weird relationship there. They're not equals, but they're some kind of letting the person in slightly to see things. I mean, and it's not in the end, it's a not particularly beneficial I mean, relationship, because of course, in the end, his plan is to leave her in the care of the mountain, and God knows that would be a stupid idea. But, I really like these, these things, and I think the moment they decided they were gonna change the characterization of Roos, and that they were gonna keep him with Rob, they needed to have somebody in Harrenhal who would be privy to some of this stuff. And, I think it's a much more, I think it works for me. I know a lot of people, the problem is, is there is never that wonderful payoff like I kept hoping for, which is when he would learn that Arya Stark had been missing and then go, oh my God, she was there all the time or whatever. We never get that. No. Mm -mm. And shouldn't Um, he have wondered? Don't you honestly on some level think he should have wondered? I think he is wondering and I think I get the sense, or at least I think, let me let me rephrase this. I think the intent was to have it sort of like he knows something's out of place here. He's got bigger fish to fry. I mean, he's he's planning this battle. He's trying to win a war. He's trying to deal with all this stuff. But each each of their scenes, he's gradually piecing together this puzzle, sort of teasing out answers from her. The thing that doesn't work, I think, I'm thinking this is what most people's problems with these scenes are is that I think he'd be a little more curious and I mean I understand it's war the riverlands are a mess it's entirely conceivable that somehow I don't know she's somebody but wouldn't he care like if he knows she's a nobleman's daughter I mean, at least she'd have hostage value, even if she's not Arya Stark. I mm-hmm. I do kind of wonder why mm-hmm. he's not going a little bit further with it. But I love these scenes. I don't I don't care if they don't work overall. <laughs> I love them. You'd rather have them than Matt not. D and D, you did something right. Aw, hear that? <laughs> One out of a hundred ain't bad. <laughs> Tacoma, Tacoma. <laughs> oh, this is one of my bigger problems with this season. So no, I would not say that this was right. <laughs> All right, uh, Eon, you got anything to add or Cora before we go on? No, it's okay to say no. <laughs> no, not really. What did you think of the table, comma? I don't like the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> 
I much preferred his West Elm decor of season one. It's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, this is all like Karen Hall leftovers, probably, right? I mean, yeah, you know, it's like he didn't, he didn't take the dresser with him. Yeah. yeah it had been too cumbersome to get up all those stairs, I think. <laughs> well, he didn't have to be carrying it. It would be somebody else, some poor yeah. schlep whose job his it is problem. to like, decorate right. his... You're right. Gotta think more like Tywin. Gotta think more like Tywin. Just bring that wardrobe. I don't care how you do it. Alright. So (laughs) let's move on to the next scene, which is still Arya. Um, so she leaves to go fetch that water. And uh, as she's walking, she comes across Jack and Hagar, and he's in full Lannister armor, which is very tasty looking. Anyway, he's with two other soldiers. They pass. Um, when she gets to the water barrel, Jackin's helmet is on it, and he's followed her there. And he tells her that he owes her three... Now, I couldn't make it if he said debts. I think it was deaths. Three desks. He asks her to speak three names. And she says, the tickler. And that's the first name she chooses. Now, here's a lot where a lot of criticism can come into play. And I I think uh, somebody else will probably say it. So, who do can you I think... Start with some- yeah, can you I start can. I something positive before everyone... <laughs> I'd forgotten how much I liked Jackin. Mm-hmm. Until, until I watched this. So, um, if he does show up again, um, I'm quite happy. <laughs> Do you know who Jack and Hagar thing. reminds me of? Gambit. <laughs> he should be Gambit. Oh, <laughs> I totally see that. He, yeah. he, he should be you know, Gambit. It's, <laughs> it's so funny. I found out one of my cousins was watching Game of Thrones a couple years ago, and I, like, immediately texted her, and I was like, who do you ship? <laughs> you know, I want, I was hoping to hear, like, Jamie and Brienne. Yeah. And she, she texted me back, and she goes, Jockin X me. Yeah, he's hot. He leaves an impression. That answer is also correct, Chicky's cousin. (laughs) I only have one, I have three words for this in my notes for this scene, and is Jackin is hot, so I guess we have consensus. He's a lovely man. So why didn't she say Tywin first? That's the big criticism, right? That's one of the big issues with her interacting with Tywin here. That was actually one of the big criticisms, I think, in fandom. I wasn't in fandom at this point, and during season two, I didn't watch until season two was over, so mm-hmm. I don't know, but you kind of hear things that it was one of the bigger, like, well, this doesn't make any sense. In the in the books, she doesn't, she's not naming, I mean, like, God knows, she's got a lot of people she should be naming. Right. And she doesn't use any of them, and... One of the arguments I've seen posited is that, first of all, there's this random guy who's telling her he'll kill any three people. But, you know, I could come to you a lot and say, hey, I'll kill any three people you want. You you would probably react with, are you smoking crack? What? You know, you're not going to believe that. And that she's her first death, she gives the name of somebody who's, you know, hey, if it happens, great. But. You know, she has no way of knowing he's for real. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, in the books, doesn't she name, like, the cook from here? Yeah, or something like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, and even, like, in season three, Gendry even brings that up. You know, like, he's, he's like, why don't why didn't you pick Joffrey or Cersei? Um, I think that was a like response that. to kind of fan outrage. <laughs> yeah. I, I think one of the other issues is, in the books, she's much younger. And I mean, she's a child and she's looking around at her immediate world. Yeah. And she's picking people who are in her immediate vicinity who are awful human beings. Yeah. But you make her older. So then right away, there's that whole question of, 
you know, okay, a couple years older, you're a little smarter, you're a little more, your world is bigger. Why aren't you naming someone else? So that's an issue with that I could see happening. Mm-hmm. Pretty yeah. much just plan on suspending all your disbelief for everything you do with Hall all season long and you'll be fine. Okay, we can do that then. Let's move mm-hmm. forward. <laughs> Uh, north of the wall, we have Mormont and John. Um, they're speaking of Corin Halfhand. Sam is saying how beautiful the scenery is and how much Gilly would have loved it. And the others <laughs> are annoyed. Sam. <laughs> Me too. I love Sam too. And uh, when I say the others, I mean Gren and Dolores Ed, not like the snow monsters. <laughs> they make camp at uh, the Fist of the First Men. Sam is super stoked to be on such a historic site. <laughs> Again, they, the others, Gren and Dolores, uh, don't share his enthusiasm. Uh, Dolores Ed gets this really kind of smart comment, you know, that, you know, smart people don't find themselves in places like this. Um, we hear a horn sound. One blast means rangers are returning. Two means wildlings. And then three are for white walkers, Sam adds. And uh, he, of course, says, I read it in a book. He had a Hermione moment there. <laughs> and that's the end of the ad. John still looks like someone's kicked his puppy. His yeah. hair. Was his hair <laughs> sad in this one? <laughs> very emo hair. Yeah. It looks kind of sad. It was very emo. These are like- all... Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I like that they're trying to give Corin Halfhand like a little bit of the the oomph that he 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 needs, you know, to seem like a really significant character. They're trying to make him seem a little legendary here, which I do appreciate. Yeah, yeah, but I was pretty disappointing in the casting because he just doesn't look like a badass. He's supposed to be a badass. Okay, this is dating me quite a bit. But he kind of reminds me of Patrick Stewart, who played Captain Picard. Oh my God! Everybody <laughs> knows that, that you? comma. I don't know because that show what is, is over this obscure years old, but... Star Trek you speak of. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever oh, watched TSG, people weren't even know. born when that was on. Everybody oh, knows Picard right now. Go to bed, youngsters. Just because um, of the Let It Snow video, everyone knows who Picard is. <laughs> I don't. This whole. All this stuff with the wall, I mean, I like Dolores said, he kind of cracks me up. Sam's kind of funny. But all this exposition, it was just kind of leaden to me. It really wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was short. It was pretty short. Okay, so the next thing we have Tyrion. He's with uh, the Pyromancer. The Pyromancer is old and shaky. Just the kind of guy you want around nitroglycerin. <laughs> just, just the kind of guy you want to read your audiobooks. Yes. <laughs> Yep. What does that mean? What am I missing? That's Roy Dotrice. He's the guy who reads the audiobooks for And Song he was originally Park. supposed to be Pycelle. Mm-hmm. I'm oh. pretty sure. Really? He's a famous British character actor. Huh. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, uh, he's George Martin's friend. He worked on Beauty and the Beast, the television show that George wrote for. That's and cool. This is information I'm I didn't know. sure his kid... Um, in the movie Mary Poppins, that's his daughter who plays the little girl. Jeez, this is full of anecdotes. I love it. <laughs> I know my British oh. character actors, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, the pyromancer is going on about how hot, uh, the, the wildfire gets. So hot that it melts wood, stone, metal, flesh. Braun is skeptical. Tyrion asks how much they have. They walk down a passage, and while they're doing that, Braun goes on, why wildfire is a bad idea. And he says, men win wars, not magic tricks. 
the old man opens a vault to reveal 7,811 pots of wildfire made on Cersei's order. Tyrion orders the man to no longer make wildfire for Cersei. He will be making it for him. I loved Jerome Flynn in this scene. <laughs> the utter, like, exasperation and annoyance with the whole, you know, creepy old man going on about how this fire is going to do this and that. It was brilliant. I kind of like it because it's kind of that warriorly disdain that you see from, like, Jamie about, you know, archers yeah. and stuff where it's like, this is not a manly way to kill people. But... Yeah. I kind of appreciate that from Braun, yeah. Yeah, he's so casually cool. We so speaking cool. of Jamie, they seem to have eliminated the caches of wildfire, um, which actually in the books, um, Master Helen has found one of those that uh, were Eris's caches of, of wildfire that he intended to, to blow up King's Landing with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. All over completely... the city, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, what is it Master Helen says? They found a few. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's interesting that they've eliminated that plot point. They've also, uh, although I think it it comes up later in the books, but they talk about how, and it's about the same time that Danny's dragons are starting to grow and stuff. But they start talking about how it's become much easier for them to produce the wildfire than it ever has been before. Oh, it's yeah. that notion of like the dragons and the others that mm-hmm. this is sort of increasing the efficacy of magic. Yeah. Well, and we'll kind of get that in Karth too, where yeah, magic is back in the world. Um, Danny's running into that at the exact same time. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So let's go to Danny. Um, we have Daenerys and Dorito, uh, with baby <laughs> Drogon. <laughs> She's saying, uh, Jaharis and, uh, he's lighting up his own, is it, no, Jakaris? Dracaris. Whatever. <laughs> He's lighting up his old lunch now, and uh, Danny orders the dragon put away. Is it Eerie? Is vying for Danny's praise? Mm-hmm. Sure, showing yeah. her them. Showing Eerie's her. The, Eerie's the one who's like working on her shoe and stuff. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She's showing her the mending that she's done, and uh, you can sense there's a bit of rivalry rivalry going on between the two handmaidens. Um, Dorito shows her the dress Zaro sent over. Uh, Danny cautions Doria on Zaro. He's a stranger. Uh, Daria asks Danny, um, tells her that she's- You just call her Daria? Is it Daria? (laughs) I don't know what the fuck her name is. Dorito. (laughs) Daria's a great cartoon though. Yeah. Let's let's just end here and talk about Daria. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, she's told she'll look like a princess in the dress and, um, then it's Eerie that objects and says she's a Khaleesi. And then she concedes maybe she should just wear the dress to be polite. Uh, Danny goes to the cocktail party in her dress. She's schmoozing um, when she eyes Malako, Cavaro, and Jora debating plundering a golden bird statue. Danny kiboshes their plundering ideas. <laughs> a warlock greets Danny. Never thought I'd utter those words out loud. Uh, <laughs> gives her a gem and then magic. He multiplies himself and he's popping out up all throughout the garden. He invites her to the house of undying. Zaro apologizes for the warlock. <laughs> Pirate, Pyat Pri is his name apparently. He yeah. takes her away to speak some more. This is Zaro, by the way, who does that. And as uh, she's being pulled away, a masked woman speaks to Jora and says, you watch over her. She she knows who Jora is, um, but she won't identify herself. 
And she tells him, she will need uh, true protectors. People will come to see her dragons, and they will lust for the power. And that's the end of the garden party for now. Okay, so, so we gotta say, the dragons are pretty damn good. Right? They're so cute. Yeah, yeah they're, right. they're cute. Yeah, they're yeah. cute. Yeah, I don't know what they base them on. Is it cats or dogs? I don't even know. They're, it's neat. I Whatever like, uh, the two things I love with this sequence, honestly, is the, the whole Ian Glenn very dryly, like, recounting the whole plot to, like, you know, take apart the statue and how they're gonna steal it. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's funny. And then the other thing that gets me every time, the guy who plays the warlock is very creepy and he's, I think, a good actor, but oh my god, that is, like, one of the more broadest Scottish accents I have ever heard. It's funny how well it works, right? It, it's, it's, it's his, it's his Scottish accent and also he has an almost stilted delivery, but somehow yeah. it works with this whole crazy warlock thing. Um, I don't know how, but it, it's, it <laughs> it's like it shouldn't, it really but well. it, it does. Yeah. Like I should be, and I, I'm not good enough with Scottish accents and maybe Coralie could pinpoint <laughs> where he's supposed to be from. I don't know, but it's like, why this guy with his axe? I mean, why does it work? Cause it shouldn't, but it does. I That's see. I, I don't think he has a very broad. He is Scottish. You can tell that he is Scottish, but I don't think he has a very broad Scottish accent. But I lived in Scotland for a while, so it kind of doesn't doesn't do. I know. Much. I'm just gonna say you really probably don't think you have an accent. To be fair, no, <laughs> no one thinks I they have I an do. accent. We all do. Well, but I don't. <laughs> yes, you do. Everyone has an accent. I talk normal. To say, you guys, watching the sequence, and it's like I have to eat crow because I have always thought that this whole car thing was so ridiculous. But actually, in watching this, it's not that bad. I like the scene. I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I know. Too. Brace yourself. I enjoyed this whole thing. Well, brace yourself again because I'm actually going to defend Amelia Clark's acting in this scene. <laughs> I um, I thought her facial reactions were fantastic when she was having the conversation, and then she notices the three of them over that uh, gold bird. She's just, so bad. What it was so perfect. Though? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't notice her acting at all, which is usually a really good sign that it was pretty good. I mean, I, I feel like this whole sequence was actually pretty cool in a way. I don't even know why it was, though. Well, I think it was lots of different little parts, but everyone was, it was all, they were all working well. Like the two actresses who were playing uh, Daria and Erie, that worked too. I mean, I I liked it. Like, yeah, and the way. a the, bad note in it. Yeah, and the way that they did it, where they kind of played from one point to another, you know, it was kind of like a ping pong, da 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 but it really worked amazingly well. And Great pace. So is this the dress, I have to ask, is this the dress that Madonna borrowed? <laughs> oh. Prim? Did you guys see those pictures, you know, like yes. a couple years ago, she borrowed an actual dress from Game of Thrones? I think it is. This is what you can do when you're Madonna? I think it was this dress. <laughs> this is what you can do when you're Madonna. <laughs> is you can call up and go, hey, I want to borrow a dress from your show. And they're like, sure, we'll send it right over. <laughs> I'll have to look that up, or maybe call McKen. She's our Google. I'm looking right now. She's our Googler. All right. <laughs> well, she's looking that up. Let's go on. I'm to pretty bro- sure it is oh. because I talked to F Seventh about it the other day, and I dug up the picture. I am like 90 percent sure with those shoulder, like oh, whatever that no. metal maybe weave not. thing is, is on the shoulder. It looks shoulders. like no? it's. Oh, she's got a Dothraki vest over the top of it. It looks like, but the bottom part kind of looks like the rest of the dress. Oh, I need to see this, this picture. This is what you do when you're Madonna. It is! <laughs> yeah. 
Borrow all of them and reconfigure it. It's like when Obama's just like, I'm going to need to see this season now, so you need to just send me the episodes and I'm going to watch them early. Now that's power. (laughs) Maybe we should put, um, if we find it, we should put it on our Tumblr. Yeah, we should do more of that. Yeah, you're right. What the hell did she do? Why would she recombine it like that? Anyway, I'm going to get distracted. Anyway, we'll post that on Tumblr. Okay, Brienne and Catelyn is the next scene. Brienne is certain that the shadow looked like Stannis that killed Renly. Um, Catelyn isn't so sure. They are heading to Rob's camp. Uh, she plans to go to Winterfell after that. Her youngest sons need her. Brienne tells her she never knew her mother, and she wants to have leave to go once Catelyn is safe. She wants vengeance. Catelyn tells her... You know, Renly's gone. You serve nothing by following him to the earth. Um, Renly's enemies are Rob's as well, she adds. And then Brienne offers her her service to Catelyn with the promise that she will not hold her back from Stannis. Brienne takes a knee and vows. I think I jumped ahead. Anyway, Catelyn promises to ask her no service that will bring dishonor. That's the end of that. Is that right there? You know that right there where Kellen says, I vow that you shall always have a place in my home and at my table and that I shall ask no service of you that might bring you dishonor. I really think at that moment they were really planning on bringing in Stoneheart later on. Yeah, clearly. And then, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they decided not to. But yeah. at this moment, yeah, they I think they were planning on Stoneheart. They were setting that up. I don't know how the fuck they can say no to Stoneheart. I will always hold out hope that Stoneheart is going to happen. Can I just say Michelle Fairley has the bluest eyes I've ever seen? (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) So I have to say this is probably the most difficult Gwendolyn Christie scene for me. (laughs) I find this really, 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 really awkward. You can just tell she didn't have much, you know much film experience and 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 it shows here she it's has a broad. lot of trouble with the subtlety yeah um she gets so much better though that's the amazing thing about Gwendolyn Christie and she quickly really improves quickly yes yes yeah it also probably had to be awkward to be doing all the physical stuff to be wearing a heavy ass armor but yeah mm-hmm. she's she's not she has not hit her stride here whereas i thought michelle Farrelly was doing a very good job as always yes yeah mm-hmm. Okay, anything else to add before we go on to Bran? Nope. All right. So we're uh, going to Winterfell. Bran is taking grievances. A man whose uh, sons are off at war has no help with his flock of sheep. Bran gives him two orphans to help him out at his farm. Two orphan boys, which are of note. (laughs) Uh, Roderick Castle reports that Torhen Square is under attack. Roderick... um, did I say Roderick? Yeah, Roderick yeah, says yeah. he can gather. I keep wanting to call him Whiskers, I'm sorry. <laughs> Do it. We know who you meant. Whiskers says he can gather 200 men to defend. Maester Lewin asks, Do you need so many? Bran kind of ignores him and agrees to send the full 200. Osha, Hodor, and Bran is the next scene. Bran and Osha discuss the Three-Eyed Raven and then Bran's dreams as well. Osha wants to know about, you know, what he's dreaming. And he says the ocean came to Winterfell. It's death. Roderick was one of them. Bran asks her about the Three-Eyed Raven again, you know, and what stories the wildlings have. And she doesn't really give him an answer. Oh, God. Isaac Hempstead Wright is so good. 
He's so good. So is Natalia Tana. They're just all so good. Everything in everything in this storyline, the the actors are just so perfect. Yeah. Every note is is spot on. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. It's not like a whole lot. To, I mean, it's pretty self explanatory yeah. going on here. <laughs> so let's just move on to the Night's Watch then. Um, Night's Watch with Corin Halfhand this time. Um, they're spying a fire off in the distant mountain. Halfhand reports wildlings are coming with Mance. He advises that they need to be more like wildlings, sneak in and kill the lookouts. Corin picks three men to go with him. John asks to go as well, and Sam offers to take John's duties in his absence. Mormont agrees, and he lets John to let John go with them. Well, I mean, like this is much cooler in the books. I kind of agree with Calm a little bit on this episode. I feel like there's, I don't know, there's a little something missing from the the Night's Watch storyline in this one. I don't really know what it is. Um, but you know, this is such Boring. a cool moment for John. Sorry. <laughs> What did you say? They're boring. <laughs> They're boring. Just a bunch oh, of dudes out in the cold. I, I love them. It's, it's, I think part of it for me is that I'm wondering, like, it's very clear in season one. They're going out. They're going to find Benjamin Stark. And stuff has gone wrong in season two. They're out in the middle of what looks like pure hell to me. I mean, I'm just reactions. But very <laughs> exposition-heavy even James Cosmo, who I normally quite love, it's all very like, okay, just, I, I almost wish they would have stopped and given us like, like a paragraph of text and then we could have moved on. It would have been more entertaining. <laughs> and the guy like... playing Corin Halfhand is doing nothing for me and I love Patrick yeah. Stewart. I'll be honest with you. I feel like, I feel like the, I feel like the writers know they have to do some of this John stuff, but I think they feel like you do. I think they're not as into it. I don't know. It, it sometimes feels to me like they know they have to do this stuff. They know they have to put it in, but they don't maybe, I don't know, give it the oomph that they give some of the other stuff, and I'm not really sure what that's about, but you feel a little bit of that here. I think it's kind of like they're just putting their time in with John at this point. Well, it's, yeah. it's probably like like they like writing certain things and other things... It, it, again, it's, it would be like me trying to write this and write about Ta- Danny. I don't think I could do it justice because I don't honestly care as much. I think just, that's what we got here, which kind of implies that a lot is going to happen with John in this Shame series. on them because, damn it, John is great in the books. I will stand up for John. Yeah. Cows come home. I actually love, I actually love most of the storyline on the show too. I don't have that big a problem with it most of the time, but this one was a little flat. I agree with you. I think for me, I just feel like I'm being led a lot with these scenes. Like this is going to happen and this is going to, there's like I'm being explained to a lot. It's exposition. Yeah. And it's very hard to write to be fair, but they sometimes do a really fantastic job of it. And then sometimes we get this. Yeah. I feel like I'm being schooled. Sometimes we get this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm right. All right, so we're going back to the cocktail party. Um, Zaro asks how long Jorah's been in love with Danny, and Danny brushes away the notion. Zaro then asks what she wants, and she says she wants the Seven Kingdoms. She asks what he wants. He takes her hand, shows her his vault. It's got a pretty complicated looking <laughs> Why does lock. That sound dirty. I don't know. I'm just making it sound dirty. <laughs> Try to pump it up a bit. The scene is super interesting. 
Anyway, he offers her half of what's behind it in exchange for her hand in marriage. Uh, he shares the news that Robert Baratheon is dead. Um, Danny and Jorah in the next scene, um, she immediately wants to go to Westeros. Jorah doesn't want to do that. <laughs> and he doesn't want to do it with Zaro's help. She asks Jorah what he wants, and uh, he says for her to be queen. She has a gentle heart. She asks for his advice. Um, she only needs one ship, he says. Her allies are in Westeros. He'll find her a ship and a good captain. And that's that. So here's the thing. I mean, like, even though in the books I enjoy the Jorah and Danny relationship, I don't necessarily ship it or anything. But in the show, how can you kind of help but ship it when you have Ian Glenn delivering some of this stuff? Like, he's so mm-hmm. clearly in love with Danny and just, mm-hmm. like, fangirling all over her, how he thinks she's going to be this amazing queen and everything. It's like, it sucks you in. Stupid mm-hmm. Ian Glenn. Damn it. Yeah, and she's she's actually contemplating the notion. I kind of read that a bit with the way she reacted. You know, he like, Zaro planted the seeds. Yeah, she's not guy, trusting him. Like, and asking so- what he wants. Uh huh. Well, that guy Zaro, like, how do you pronounce his name? Because I keep calling him Zaro's son Duck Sauce. Zoan Duck Sauce. Zaro's on Duck Sauce. Yeah. Sounds delicious. He's painful. <laughs> that actor is not good. Yeah, yeah I he... like him. You guys don't like him. Really? It's so funny. Yeah, no, it's so funny. You said that last week, and I was like, I think he's the only thing in this scene that's working. Um, the I only, the only bummer. Very... Go ahead, sorry, Colin. No, I mean, I think it might be the chemistry he has with Amelia Clark. It's not there. Um, also, because I am a shallow, her wig looks like shit in this scene. <laughs> oh, God. I well, liked no, her I'm wig. I'm sorry. This is what it is for me to watch TV or a movie. <laughs> that stuff takes me right out. I, I liked don't know. her I, wig. I felt her. like I didn't understand. It was soft and fluffy. <sighs> <laughs> and then the bit with her and Jorah... I really didn't... He's very good. I am unclear what I'm supposed to be feeling from Danny, though. And I think it's her acting is just... I love the first bit, and now I'm, like, back with, oh, my God, what are you doing to me? I kind of liked... I'm going to defend again. I kind of liked her in this scene, too, because I kind of felt... I saw her being a bit unsettled, because I think, like I said, she's finally recognizing that. Maybe she's Jorah's never, into her. Yeah, she is recognizing it. You can see that she's recognizing it. And she's never super subtle, but this is another one of those where it's like, if I don't notice Amelia, Clark, Amelia Clark's acting, I'm fine with it. And I didn't notice it in, in any of her scenes in this episode, so I'm fine. <laughs> okay. Maybe the bar's low, I don't know, but it was fine with <laughs> me. Um, a pinnacle moment in podcast. Chickie and I are both defending <laughs> Amelia Clark. <laughs> Calm defended her earlier too. This is what's no. happening. It's like Bizarro World. We're like <laughs> ragging on Gwendolyn and Christie and like seriously. Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't someone even say something good about Aiden Gillen? I don't even know what's going on anymore. I think they said he's not as bad. <laughs> Close enough. We'll take he it. I praise. <laughs> Okay, so we'll go on to the next scene. Um, we have Gendry. Um, he's, you know, he's getting on pretty well. He's blacksmithing topless, and Arya's sneaking a peek. Um, she gives him some fighting pointers, and then we hear a scream. A man has fallen, and uh, it's the tickler. Arya looks up to see Jack and Hagar, I mean Gambit. <laughs> Her first <laughs> death has been fulfilled. Hot Gendry. 
Hot jock. Oh my god, hot so very, very hot. <laughs> we end on a hot note, ladies. <laughs> I love how the, the interviews came out that, that all these guys had bulked up so they wanted to do more t- shirtless scenes in their second season. <laughs> Is that what was going on? Because I was actually just, dis- so. well, I was distracted, not for the reasons most people would have been, but I was like thinking more practically. Why would you be like working with hot metals with, no- with nothing protecting your chest? Like hot iron sparks. Yeah, it could be bad, but we don't care why. <laughs> we don't care. Yeah, I, I know. Have to admit, that is Get one handsome off. man. And I think <laughs> when I watched this, Boy. I actually looked Sorry. up the actor's age because I was really concerned that I was curving on a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Were you? How old is he? So you're good. How legal? <laughs> Legal, legal. I think he was. was (laughs) So, what country are we talking about? (laughs) Yeah, he's twenty-seven years old, so he was probably like what? No, that's legal, legal. Oh, he's totally legal. Sorry, he's like the same age as me. So yeah, (laughs) that's super legal for you then. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) that's a fun way to end the podcast. Um, what do we was have... this podcast even? I don't even I... know. <laughs> I don't know, but it's fun. I'm I'm laughing and smiling, so that that's good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, do we have any thank yous? To we do. We have we have a couple. Great. Our our first one's from Gollum Subterfuge. She says, "Holy shit, you guys! I don't know what's better." <laughs> Being called the fifth Beatle or Oberyn Martell. <laughs> Although <laughs> there are already five regulars on the podcast, I guess I'd be the sixth Beatle. Mm-hmm. That's still pretty cool. <laughs> but it's no Red Viper. I will be your champion. Aww. Oh, we oh, love you, Kyle. Kyle's going to love this Danny loving episode. She I is know she is. love it. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it was. <laughs> oh, yeah, this one's for you, Kyle. This is dedicated to you. This is your app. <laughs> Okay. And alias SD6 says, congrats on 40,000 hits. Thanks for Woo! being so awesome and providing us with such insightful and entertaining podcasts. <laughs> Never stop with the 13-year-old giggles and horse metaphors. I love you all. Here's to another 40,000 more hits. You're awesome. Thanks, Thank you, Alias. Thank you. Thank the you. giggles will never stop. <laughs> we couldn't stop them if we wanted to. Nope. So. They're here. Tuesday. Tuesday. We got an email from a Daphne that says, Hello, recently I've started listening to your amazing podcast. I listen to it wherever I go and can. On the subway, at school, at home, I want to say thank you for such a funny and witty podcast that never fails to make me laugh no matter where I am. I started listening three days ago and now I I can't stop. So far, I have listened to up to... to 20 episodes. Oh my god. Yes. Oh my Hell god. yes. Ow. As, I don't even know how, how you find the time. Gosh. Just know the quality improvement. to listen to us. I know. <laughs> As a huge JB shipper in a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire mega fan with no friends that share my interest <laughs> obsession, you ladies have been my fandom best friends. Nothing makes my day better than listening to your hilarious yet smart discussions on my two favorite characters. All your guests have been brilliant and the recurring debaters now seem like close friends to me. Lot is an amazing moderator. 
And I love love hearing Eon's YDs and Chicky's takes on the storyline, even though you have been having some technical difficulties. I never seem to be able to stop listening. Now comes the real question. I would love, love, love to be a guest on the podcast. Uh, Perfect. You know, well, first off, I just want to say thank you. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a great email. Um, and she only got to episode 20 at that point, comma, so maybe there'll She's be probably compliments coming back after. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the other thing is, one thing I haven't done a whole lot of lately is actually put out a call to people if they are interested in guesting on the podcast. We used to do that a lot more in the beginning. But, uh, if you are interested, um, I'm gonna give you that information after I finished with these thank yous. We love fresh meat. <clears throat> thank you so much, Daphne, for this lovely thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm grinning like awesome. an idiot. <laughs> you know what? She kind of touched on something that I love about this podcast, and that is that it is exactly the kind of thing I would have loved to find when I first really dug into fandom. So, like, I totally get where she's coming from, even though it's, like, patting myself on the back. Especially you know, if you had no one else, right, to even, yeah. like, well, you say fandom, but even if, like, nobody around you is into Game of Thrones or the <laughs> books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Glad to and be your let- friends. Well, let's see. We have an iTunes review. What? Yes. What? Guess what? Guess where from, from where? where? It's from the UK. Oh, God. Oh, from? No. <laughs> from So Very Geeky. Aww. It's really. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> I'm sorry. Does this mean I have to break out my sports bra? <laughs> I, I think, think so. I think so. Oh, this is. This podcast is awesome and hilarious, and more people should leave reviews on it. Thank you, Relly. <laughs> I seriously appreciate that. Thank you. I can't it's believe Rel. she did it. <laughs> we love you, Rel. We uh, have Rel last week. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's it on the thank yous. That's great. Right. So, like I said, if um, you'd like to reach us, you can at gmail at close the door and at gmail.com. Let us know if you want to be a guest. Like I said, like Chicky said, we love fresh meat. You can also reach us at Tumblr at close the door and come here dot com Tumblr dot com. <laughs> I almost said something else. <laughs> uh, Twitter, you can reach us at or follow us at Door Podcast. And remember to like and review us on iTunes. Oh, God, you guys, I've got to break out my sports bra, and I'm totally going to get kicked out of fandom for this Gwendolyn Christie stuff, aren't I? It's terrible. It's not been a good app for you, Chicky. It's not a good app. It's been a good app for us, but get some sports bra action. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for uh, guesting with us, Coralie. Yes, thank you, Cora, for staying up in the middle of the night to do this with us. Thank you. Are you awake? <laughs> Wake up, Coralie. <laughs> Coralie's about to go back to sleep. <laughs> okay. Thanks to the rest of you. Have a good one. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.